A very good Friday and welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. Coming up in the show today, Taylor Charleston will have a report talking about the benefits soil microbes have when establishing a new crop. And I'll have a look at regional and national agricultural news, beginning with regional ag news right after this. Sponsored by the California Walnut Board and Commission. Supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. California sweet potatoes began their season very strong with a cool spring. By the time the heat started, the crop was well established and in a good position to handle it. This allowed their sweet potatoes to withstand the heat with no detrimental effect, according to Greg Southworth, vice president of farming operations with Baco Sweet. He says harvest will continue until late October, early November, and by then, more information on this season's supplies will be available. What is unique at Baco Sweet is the share of production volume that goes into the value-added category. They are 47% value-added, while the category as a whole is less than 10% value-added, according to Prescott Leba, Director of Sales with the company. Consumers value products that offer both freshness and convenience. They want a quick and easy product that lasts and is tasty. That according to Alexandra Molenby, Director of Marketing. The company's sweet potato products receive a triple wash, cutting down on prep time at home. In addition, they are packaged in a way that fits consumers' lifestyles. The goal is to be the shopping destination that is known for triple washed, consistently sized, high quality sweet potatoes. They want to be known for quality, according to Mullenby. Baco sweet potato products can be purchased at national as well as local retailers throughout the United States. Grub Market has announced it has completed the acquisition of Vernon, California-based Rainfield Marketing Group, a well-known and highly respected fresh produce company that provides the highest quality fruits, vegetables, and Asian specialty items sourced from some of the most prominent suppliers across the U.S., Mexico, and Korea, among other global locations. Rainfield Marketing Group currently operates in California, selling to hundreds of large grocery retailers, multi-unit restaurant groups, food service companies, and wholesale customers across the U.S., and has a a strong reputation as a leader in food safety practices. Founded in 2015, Rainfield Marketing Group is run by original owner Richard Cho, a 10-year veteran of the fresh produce space, alongside President Greg Mi, an experienced produce executive with over two decades of experience. The Rainfield Marketing Group is a full-service food distribution and wholesale business with state-of-the-art climate and humidity-controlled warehouse facilities covering over 150,000 square feet in space. Though they sell dozens of products including specialty items. Rainfield Marketing Group is best known for being one of the largest shippers of green onions in the nation. In addition, they are committed to maintaining the highest food safety standards, having received GAP and Prime GFS certifications. After the acquisition, the business will continue to be managed by its current experienced and mission-driven leadership team. Plastic produce bags will be phased out of California grocery stores and supermarkets over the next two years. A bill recently signed into law by Governor Gavin Newsom will ban single-use plastic product bags, which now must be replaced by January 1st of 2025. Instead, shoppers can use either recycled paper bags or compostable bags. The thin plastic bags are commonly found next to fruit and vegetables at supermarkets and are used to separate the items before checkout. But the ban also extends to bags used for unwrapped items such as meat, fish, nuts, grains, candy, and baked goods. 
The Fresh Produce Association of the Americas Pillar of the Industry Recognition Award highlights accomplishments for a member who has exhibited a history of volunteering time, effort, and impactful contributions to support the association and the fresh produce industry. This year, the FPAA is honored to announce Bill Sykes, founder and vice president of the Sykes Company, as a 2022 recipient. With 48 years of experience, Sykes is considered a seasoned produce industry veteran among his peers. He found the Sykes Company in 1978 and throughout his career has been active in the industry, including chairman and vice chairman at the FPAA and 10 years on the board of directors. There's giant potential sleeping in your soil. Under drought conditions, it's never been more important to wake it up. Phycoterra, a superior soil microbial food, activates the native microbes responsible for your soil's health and water holding capacity. Adding Phycoterra to your crop increases water retention up to 10% and optimizes crop nutrient availability. Plus, it delivers excellent mixability and application flexibility, making it easy to add to your existing crop input strategy. Visit phycoterra.com to learn how you can wake up your soil's giant potential with phycoterra. Soil health and microbes are important to the crop during all life stages, but especially crucial to the growth and eventual first yield of a newly established crop. Preventing any sort of stress, whether biotic or abiotic, on establishing plants is important, and microbes play a key role in this, according to Helier's Cassidy Million. Plant establishment, plant vigor, and yield are all impacted from the establishment of a crop. So it has been shown in studies that the yield potential on grain crops and other row crops can actually be determined as early as, early as 14 days after planting. Um, other crops, the first weeks to 40 days is, is critical for plant development, development. So understanding the impact of those first days to months of crop establishment and the roles that those soil microbes play in plant development establishment really proves that it's critical to establish these plant microbial interactions as quickly as possible. So if we think back to the factors, um, if we're looking at like an annual crop or a row crop, so we think about factors, um, a seed is facing when we plant it into the soil, um, anything from environmental stressors, such as pests and diseases, the fertility levels, water availability, and just their ability to germinate and develop root and shoot establishments. Um, during this period of time, there's a lot of things that can go wrong and a lot of obstacles that need to overcome to get that seed out of the ground. So this is really the first real world point of contact between the plant and the soil. And the faster the plant can establish a symbiotic relationship with soil microbes, the better chance the plant has to withstand those factors. Um, and the more uniform standard emergence and plant vigor we're gonna see from this microbial interaction. So the, the microbes being able to um, colonize the root in the seedling, um, this will depend, um, root colonization versus seedling colonization is going to depend on whether you're doing like a permanent crop or transplant versus a seed. This will determine the, the ability of that seedling or young plant to absorb nutrients throughout the entire season. So if we think about this in terms of this interaction, seeds and roots are what we're going to say paying for microbial work. And they're paying for it by excreting things such out, out of their roots or their seedlings that like carbon um, exudates and other compounds. And these compounds then attract those microbes to the seedling or the roots. And in turn, those microbes are improving NPK availability. They're helping reduce abiotic stressors. 
And they're also releasing antioxidants into the soil and in those spheres around the seed and the roots that will help the seedling um, in conditions such as drought. So overall, these microbes are helping optimize conditions for the establishments of these, these plants and help them thrive through that really crucial timeframe um, within 14 to 40 days. Um, what's super cool about this microbe association is that we can actually visually see it and measure it. Um, so we've done studies where we've taken a seed and coated it with a microbial food um, and looked at that at the difference between a seed that's not been treated. And what we've seen is that we actually see that the seed germinates earlier, so faster germination, germination. And we can also measure that we're able to increase the overall plant vigor. And we actually have better root establishment, which means we can have better water and nutrient uptake. And we know that all of these factors can play a role in increasing yield at the end of the season. Um, but to address the second part of your question of, is it more important to have the soil biology and microbes association earlier versus later in the crop's life cycle? Um, you know, that's not an easy question to answer because I don't know if we can really measure it uh, on, on that bit, at, at that level. Um, and I think really soil biology, biology is key throughout the entire life cycle of a plant, even into post-harvest, because um, we know that those microbes play a role in help breaking down that crop residue and managing crop residue. So even once that crop is gone, your soil biology is really key to have. So having a thriving, functioning soil microbiome at all stages of development, I really think is a critical aspect to achieve the highest, best possible yields you can achieve, as well as your crop quality. Um, so really to choose which stage is most important, I don't think um, we're at that point. Um, however, I do think we can possibly relate it back to which has a bigger impact on yield establishment. And there may be some more important times to be focusing on there, just like when we're looking at nutrient management, when's the best time to put nutrients out? Um, they may have a bigger impact, but really establishing a healthy soil biology and microbiome through the entire season is really, um, I will have the biggest impact. On the subject of transplants, mainly done in specialty or permanent crops, the question may arise whether or not the transplanted crop needs to be in soil with the same level of soil health and microbes compared to what it was established in. Millions said the microbial growth will need to be reestablished around the transplant roots that have already been developed. Establishing that interaction between the plant and the microbes are critical, even at these stages. Um, and it's critical to help that plant overcome stressors. So as the roots are already established, um, I think we can even say that plant might be more sensitive to shock when we're putting it into a new environment. We're seeing different nutrient levels. We have different microbial communities. We have different water levels. Um, so getting it to adapt the fastest as possible is gonna be most beneficial to establishing that permanent crop. So. Again, soil biology is key in that, making those quick associations between now we're looking at the rhizosphere, so that area where the microbes thrive between the soil and the roots. So making that key establishment, having those, that, those roots um, excrete those exudates to attract those healthy soil microbes and establish things to release, again, NPK um, back um, to the plant. Also make water more available. So making sure that soil structure is really good and have water, enough water for those new transplants is critical. And then also stress relief. There's a lot of stress happening with a transplant, not just from different pathogens and pests that can be there, but also from um, looking at maybe different pH or soil textures that it's not used to that needs to adapt to. So making those microbial associations will help that plant as well um, in that stress release and just overall optimizing those conditions. 
So we're looking at permanent versus annual crops. We're still looking at a similar establishment uh, mechanism between the, the microbial communities. We're just looking at different spheres they're affecting in different parts of the, the growth cycle of those plants. There's also the issue of establishing a crop in a soil with poor soil health. Millian said that it will be operation dependent whether or not applications of biological products will need to be made before or after the plant is in the ground. Most often, though, improving soil health before the plant is in the ground will be most favorable. Understanding your field, knowing what is your soil type, your pH, your soil structure, and also understanding the biological component. You know, how, how well is our biology functioning? Um, from those aspects, once we fully understand what's happening is then when we can address which inputs we need to do or practices we need to change. If it's from adjusting our pH, is it from increasing our soil structure? And depending on those is what we need to add in and when we need to address it. So some of these things need to be addressed before we would transplant um, or before we would seed. Those applications need to be made or practices need to be changed. And then if we're already established, um, it makes it a little bit more difficult, right? We have the plant in place. Um, we're reduced on the number of things we can do but there's still biological products out there that we can add in. So the most important thing is to understand the, the factors we're facing and then go to your CCA, your agronomist, lay out those tests that you've done and what you know and what you're facing and have them help you select the best biological product to add in. And then what's really key, since you already have a plan established, is to make sure that we're using the product correctly the right application timing, location, and rate. Um, just because it's a biological product doesn't mean it can't have detrimental effects if we don't use it in the right way. Um, so I'm just making sure we're really doing things um, based on that product and following those protocols. But overall, I think um, looking at trying to improve our soil health um, before we have a plan established, established um, is really the best practice and continue on with those soil health practices. So there's things we can do um, from season to season in between crops that can help us improve that soil biology and that soil health. So, you know, things such as following the four R's when it comes to nutrient management, right place, right source, right time, right rate, you know, minimizing your soil disturbance, keeping that soil covered, um, introducing a diversity of plant inputs and that crop rotation. Those are things that can be applied across regardless what crop or field you're in. Um, but when we already have a plan established, we start to limit ourselves to exactly what we can do. But again, as long as you understand your field and the, and the issues you're seeing, that's when you pull in an agronomist or a CCA and that helps you really tailor um, a give more prescribed approach to your field to help address those issues. You're listening to My Ag Life. I'm Taylor Charlstrom. Do you know the nutrient use efficiency people? Yes, I'm talking about the folks at Rhodesian Life Sciences that deliver crop insights and solutions so California crops grow to their full potential. From micros with a proprietary delivery system to solutions that help improve the uptake and assimilation of applied nutrients. Visit VLSCI.com to learn more about Verdesian solutions or to connect with a local representative right here in California. 
Senate Democrats are urging the Federal Trade Commission to investigate the proposed merger between Kroger and Albertsons. The two are concerned about the transaction's potential implications for consumers. The group of lawmakers includes Minnesota's Amy Klobuchar, Connecticut's Richard Blumenthal, and New Jersey's Cory Booker. In a letter to the FTC, the lawmakers say the grocery industry is essential to daily life and Americans need the benefits that robust competition brings, namely lower prices, higher quality, and innovation. The Lawmakers say the merger comes as food prices are elevated and too many American families are struggling to put food on a table. When Albertsons merged with Safeway in 2015, the FTC found that the merger was likely to harm competition in 130 separate markets and required the company to sell more than 150 stores. Additionally, Klobuchar announced the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee on Competition Policy, Antitrust and Consumer Rights will hold a hearing in November to examine the proposed transaction. The USDA announced that distressed borrowers with qualifying USDA farm loans have already received $800 million in assistance to keep them on their farms. The funds are part of the $3.1 billion in assistance provided through the Inflation Reduction Act. He says USDA and the Farm Service Agency are changing the way they deal with distressed borrowers to make sure producers can keep farming. In the past, that approach has been to monitor performance and in the event that the people are unable to make payments, the USDA would then go through the legal processes of collecting the debt. We're going to focus on a more proactive approach to avoid those circumstances and situations and try to address and assist folks before they get to a point of no return. The assistance has provided immediate help for more than 13,000 distressed USDA farm loan borrowers, but Vilsack says there's a lot of other farmers in similar predicaments. One group is uh, roughly 1,600 borrowers who are 60 days or more delinquent, but who are now engaged in a bit more complicated circumstances. Either they're in bankruptcy or they were already in foreclosure at the time the moratorium went into place. And we will be working with them on a case-by-case basis to figure out ways in which we can handle and deal with the delinquency that they find themselves in and the circumstances that they find themselves in. We also know that there are about 14,000 borrowers in our loan portfolio who we suspect in looking and understanding their current circumstance may be confronted with a cash flow challenge for a variety of reasons. So we'll be working on a case-by-case basis with those roughly 14,000 borrowers to assist them and to provide resources from the $500 million we've set aside so that they too have peace of mind. More details on each of the assistance categories, including a downloadable fact sheet, are available on the Inflation Reduction Act webpage at farmers.gov. Conflict and climate were repeated themes in the opening sessions of the World Food Price Foundation's Norman Borlaug International Dialogue this week. The annual event typically highlights scientific and policy in dealing with both the challenges and success stories in global food production. The World Food Price event this year focused heavily on fragile food supply chains and the disruption caused by the war in Ukraine. A few themes were repeated by keynote speakers and panelists when it comes to the rise in global hunger and risks to both food production and delivery. The first was conflict, which is both the cause and effect of food insecurity, according to Carrie Fowler, a special envoy for global food security at the State Department. He said what happens in Ukraine does not stay in Ukraine. The war has shifted the focus of the State Department more on food production and aid challenges as Fowler came on to the department in that role last spring. And productivity. The Global Agricultural Productivity Report produced by Virginia Tech University shows agricultural production needs to increase an average of 1.73% per year to sustainably feed more than 9 billion people by 2050. The rate of productivity, however, has slowed.
Another topic was, of course, climate. Beyond conflict, Fowler says he sees a greater risk to global food production coming from climate change as temperatures rise. That tied into the need for more investment in helping crops to adapt to climate change. And finally, the last topic was innovation. And what we really need is innovation that contributes to the robust food system, but is actually kinder to the planet, according to Barbara Stinson, president of the World Food Prize Foundation. What kinds of recreation beyond the traditional should national forests offer for people in the future? USA Ag News reporter Gary Crawford has the story. The U.S. Forest Service as we know it today was officially created by Congress back when this song was a big hit. Uh, so you know it was a long time ago, 1905 to be exact. Signing the law that created the Forest Service was this man. Welfare of the farmer is a basic need of this nation. President Teddy Roosevelt, a big supporter of having forests for recreation. He certainly loved the outdoors, especially hunting and fishing, which was the main type of forest recreation offered in those days. And today, as it was true all those years ago, as far as outdoor recreation... It means so much to our country in terms of mental well-being, physical well-being, spiritual well-being, and it also uh, provides jobs and economic opportunity as well. That's Gordy Bloom. He directs the recreation program of today's U.S. Forest Service. And, of course, hunting and fishing continue to be a part of recreation on many of the nation's 154 national forests, along with hiking and camping and other activities. However, Gordy says the Forest Service is now involved in a year-long look at its recreation programs in various forests with an eye to the future, with an eye toward reimagining recreation on the forests. After all, some of our, our recreation program was designed at a time, at a different point in time in our nation's history. And we want to make sure that we're looking towards the future and connecting with user groups that might not be fully aware of all the opportunities they have out in their national forests, or there might be barriers that, you know, get in the way for whatever reason of them having the same types of access and opportunities to enjoy their public lands. So we would like to uh, identify those barriers and see what we can do to reduce them or eliminate them and get everyone out there uh, enjoying their their public lands and recreating their public lands. So it's going to be a big project to gather information and ideas from as many people and places as possible. We'll have a variety of ways in which we do this, both through surveys and open-door listening sessions. And we'll be sharing information about this. There's a reimagining recreation forest service webpage that people can access if they want more information. And we're pretty excited about it. But Gordy Bloom says this is a huge project and the time is probably right for it. And some of this is about deciding, you know, maybe there are types of things that we don't need to invest in anymore to allow us the flexibility to invest in other things with an eye towards the future. Ooh, hey, maybe they'll invest in some pickleball facilities. Well, you never know. Easiest way to find the webpage that he was talking about is just go online, search Forest Service Reimagine Recreation. Forest Service Reimagine Recreation. It worked for me. And as Gordy Bloom put it to us. We want folks to, to get out there and enjoy their public lands and feel welcome and provide the best experience that we can in the best setting that we can. This is Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Bee Hero is the leading almond pollination provider. We deliver measurable and verifiable pollination outcomes for almond growers and turn a previously unquantified fingers crossed gamble into a controllable expenditure. For the first time, growers can know exactly what they are getting for their money during pollination. 
Bee Hero accurately evaluates your bees' pollination contribution in real time and gives you unprecedented visibility into the progress of bloom. Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure, be precise, be hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP of Sales at 559-467-9699. Be hero, superior bees, superior pollination. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcast, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on the, every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. Thank you.